wait just a few minutes for Facebook to push this out and we'll start. Hi Carol, good to have you on here this morning. Okay, got several on so we'll start. We appreciate you being here. I know this is uh, Labor Day weekend. A lot of people are, are out of town having fun. I know Butch is with his family fishing and several other people have gone places, but we're here and we're gonna share with you and uh, enjoy our fellowship this morning. I wish we could see each other face to face. One of these days we'll be able to do that easier. Hello Cecil, good to see you on here from Texas, Rita. Uh, last week, if you were watching, I'm sure you saw some funny things. We had some technical difficulties yesterday and I was still, or, or last Sunday, we were still, I was still kind of reeling from the effects of uh, anesthetics been putting to me two days in a row and then my heart been shocked that week. So kind of made me really tired last week. So I hope you enjoyed the message. I know I didn't sound like I was feeling too good and Donna was on there one time and then you got to see my office, but I edited all that out. So if you didn't see it, go back and watch it on my Facebook page. I'll upload it to YouTube pretty soon. So we're continuing our study on unveiling Paul's system of truth. This is part of our long-going series on the spiritual code and symbology of the living word. And we're just going to be probably, I'll probably be teaching from that foundation the rest of my life. And so uh, I'm excited about what I'm teaching today. I, I've always loved to share the story of uh, Queen, the Queen of Sheba and Solomon. But to now be able to see the uh, spiritual symbolism behind all that and what it really points to us, it just makes the story that much more wonderful. Uh, when I first uh, was taught Paul system of truth, as you many of you know, I was taught by Gary Garner. And uh, basically it was based on penal substitution. And so what I'm doing is I'm taking what he taught me and taught hundreds, if not thousands of people, I'm unveiling that penal substitution doctrine, taking that off of there and really showing the spiritual truth. And Brother Garner used Solomon a lot. In fact, that's where he got six steps to the throne, you know, because we won't see that today. But later in this story, you see where he, he built a tabernacle of all the wealth that came to him, a temple. And then he built six steps to the throne room. And those imply some pretty good spiritual truths that we'll look at later on. <clears throat> I subtitled this today, What Happens When Natural Understanding comes in contact with the divine mind or with true wisdom. And my answer for that is the natural understanding has to bow down, has to really, it will melt away and become non-effect. In the world today, we have a lot of people that have a lot of natural intellect and they seem to be very smart and they are smart, but when it's apart from true wisdom and true understanding, then really it's baseless. It doesn't bring any real help to us. Uh, you can see people today that are really smart, but they don't have a lot of wisdom and they don't have a lot of common sense. And wisdom comes from Father. That's the only place true wisdom comes from. People talk about the wisdom of people in the past, but if, if the, their spirit, their divine mind or Father is not their source, then it's not the wisdom that's gonna bring a lot of help to us. So we're gonna look at that today. Uh, I'm not going to read it today, but uh, next week we'll read uh, Romans chapter 6, but I'm not going to read it today. But in Romans chapter 6, Paul answered the community of believers in Rome uh, this, this question they had 
about producing the fruit of not knowing or living out of who they are. They begin to ask that. And as I've told you many times, the first seven chapters or so of Romans is Paul explaining what happened at the foundational world, what the race, the first race of men, Adam, did that caused them to see themselves as naked and then produce that kind of fruit. So they ask him, shall we continue, and, and this is my paraphrasing here, but shall we continue in the fruit of our mistaken identity or as living carnal, that Father's divine influence may pour out more awareness in our intellect, even more, you know? And, you know, we, re we read it in the King James, it says, shall we continue in sin that the grace might pour out more and more and more? To me, that was a kind of a silly question. But they were transitioning from an old way of living to a new way of living. And for thousands of years, men had lived out of that old, worn-out way of living rather than living out of the cool of the day. <clears throat> so Paul said, certainly not, you know, and I'm sure he said that explicitly to them and loud to them, certainly not. You know, he said, God forbid, how shall we who know the truth continue to live as we once did? And to me, that is so important that once you do hear the truth and you really hear it, you embrace it, you see it, we should not be living the way we did before. We should not, in our own lives, we should not be living the way we did, always depending on miracles and healings and everything else that we depended on and wanting Jesus to come back and do something for us. So Paul's letters to the Romans was him explaining to this transitional generation what Jesus did, taught, and revealed and what happened to that previous false life. So after Jesus uh, did what he did, after Jesus transported somewhere else, you know, some people think he went to a place called heaven or whatever, then there needed to be some teaching. There needed to be some explanation as to what happened. If Paul hadn't come, came along with these truths and these understandings, a lot of people would have just felt like everything Jesus did was a waste because they really didn't understand what he said. So they were transitioning from that old generation to a new generation. <clears throat> well, for us, and many people in the past, we are transitioning from an old awareness to a new awareness. And transition is not easy, is it, baby? You know, whatever it is, even when you transition from an old house to a new house, it's not easy. Uh, we've been in our house, I think, 15 years, roughly, somewhere around there. And the house we were in before was 38 years. We raised our children there. We had all kinds of fun parties, fellowship parties with the church. And so when we came to this new house, particularly Donna, I was excited to get a new house and a new yard because I didn't have that great big yard I created to take care of again. It was going to be a little easier on me and I didn't have things that needed to be fixed constantly. But Donna particularly, it was hard for her because she missed that home. She mm -hmm. missed where she raised the children. She missed all those memories, although she still had the memories. So transitioning is hard, whatever you do. If you move to another state, I've never done that, but I've, I've watched, I forget the lady's name on Facebook, but she's left a beautiful log cabin home and has moved somewhere else. And I know that's gotta be hard, that transition. And so transitioning from an old awareness to a new, it doesn't seem all that easy, but what I always say, when you come to the end of everything that you thought was true and, and you found out it really wasn't helping you, then to me, it was very easy to transition to new truth. If you don't hang on to the past. Right, if you don't hang on to the past. Mm -hmm. so, they were transitioning to this place where they were no longer under this untrue law of sin and death. It no longer existed because it was a false awareness. And they needed Paul. They needed a comforter messenger to come and explain these things to them. 
and to help them. <clears throat> so they were supposed to be transitioning in their, their understanding, again, out of this old, worn-out way of life to live in the eternal cool-of-the-day experience. And the cool-of-the-day phrase means ruach, living out of your spirit, living out of your holy breath. <clears throat> so in the beginning of Paul's letter, he was not writing of who mankind is or who they were at that time, but he was... <clears throat> He was talking about what happened to them because of that false way of life. It's still going on today, though. There are a lot of people, even so-called Christians, that are living out of a false way of life, and the fruit thereof is not good whatsoever. You're always living in this sense of lack, and you're always needing Father to come, or Jesus to come and do something for you. And that's not what Jesus came for us to do. Jesus didn't come so he could always be a rescuer for people. He came to rescue us from the lie, and we were supposed to have believed that. So the reason what he taught continues to be taught, what Jesus need to be taught, continues to be explained, is because many people have not heard. Many people have not known or, were, or they were ever really taught what Jesus said. They were only taught what their versions of the Bible tell you. And so we will read this full answer to the, their question uh, Next week, I won't have time to do it today, but next week I'm gonna, I've translated it and I'm going to go over it a little bit more. But first thing I want to do is share the story of the Queen of Sheba meeting Solomon and what both of them represent to us or symbolize. <clears throat> Most people, I think, could, could relate to the Queen of Sheba. After she visited the king, Solomon, and saw his life and that of his servants, she said it was a true report which I heard in my own land of your acts and your wisdom. However, I believe not their words until I came and mine eyes had seen. Does that trigger something in you? Your eyes have seen? To, to be consecrated means you've seen something. You see something you, you, because you believe something. So she was there, she saw him, she believed him, and therefore she could see the truth of how Solomon lived and how he blessed people. And she said, and behold, the one half of the greatness of your wisdom was not told me, for you exceed the fame that I heard. I felt that same way when I began to hear truth and begin to see truth. I really felt like the wisdom that I was taught was nothing compared to what I know now. I wouldn't even use the word one half. I would say the majority of what I was taught about what Jesus did and who Jesus is in my life today and who Father is, I was taught very little of that. I was taught a false perception that was passed down from generation to generation to generation. And so I can relate to the Queen of Sheba because she had a lot of questions. And we have had a lot of questions. I remember when uh, Kay Fairchild and I was going to minister at Randy Lambert's church. And I've told this story before, but we had just finished uh, writing volume one of Living Out of Our Spiritual Resources. And uh, they asked us to come teach that. And so I was talking to Randy, told him how excited I am. And I said, Kay and I are going to take turns every other lesson. He said, no, 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 I don't want you to do that. And I was kind of shocked. And he said, I want you to answer my people's questions. And I said, what do you mean? He said, they have questions that they need answered. And uh, I, I know that you can answer those questions. So I said, well, send them to me. I thought it was going to be three or four questions. It was something like 35 questions. And I just sat there at my desk. I remember doing it. Uh, my office was right in here in the front area. And I sat there and said, Lord, 
when are people going to quit asking these questions? And I heard very explicitly when somebody won't answer them. And so I just said, Lord, here I am. I'll do it. And I spent about three and a half to four weeks studying them and answering them. And I was able to answer their questions then. And that's why I, I turned that into a little book called Simple Answers to What Seemed to Be Difficult Questions. If you hadn't seen that, you should get it because it would help you a lot. And, and it'll help you help other people. <clears throat> Excuse me. So next the queen spoke of the fruit of Solomon functioning out of his divine mind, which would be wisdom and understanding. She said, and this is the fruit, she said, happy are your men and happy are your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. <clears throat> to me, that is so simple right there to see that happy are people who stay in contact with the divine mind, right? I, I believe that's so simple and you continually stay in contact with the divine mind because then you hear real wisdom. You hear spiritual understanding. And often it made me think, I've asked this myself, are the people I pour out my understanding and wisdom upon, are they happy? And I do hope so. And I do get a lot of nice posts from people and let me know how happy this makes them feel, how excited. And see, wisdom does that. Teaching that old penal substitution never made us happy. Never. You know, now we had this thought that, oh, what Jesus did made me righteous and holy and it made everybody else. But that wasn't the truth. What Jesus did did not make me anything. What Jesus did opened me up to who I am. What Jesus did revealed to me who I am and who we always uh, eternally are. So when I found out what Father said and what Father decreed and how Father sees me, that's what made me happy. That's what brought real joy in my life because it's not just me, but it's the entire world. Every person that's ever been born of a woman was born righteous and holy and they never lost that. <clears throat> so studying the name Sheba and then the phrase Queen of Sheba. Sheba indicates the ruling intelligence of the whole consciousness that is only aware of nature, not spiritual things. And that's where the majority of people are in the world today. They're basically, they're interested in that which is outer. They're interested in the outer body. They think about the outer body all the time. They think about outer, they think about the systems of the world. And that's what they're interested in. And so that's what she pictures. So Sheba is a Hebrew name, meaning seven, cyclical fullness, completeness, fullness of time, fulfillment, an oath, and a covenant. Shiva also represents rest, repose, stability, and I like this one, return to original state, restoration, and redemption, as in putting on or taking off. And so to me, that's pretty awesome because a person that comes to have their questions answered, they lean to the divine mind, which Father told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, lean to your divine mind. And then Paul told us to don't be conformed to this old worn out way of living anymore, but be transfigured or transformed by the renewing mind. That's the same thing as returning to your original state as far as in your awareness. And so when Shiva made contact, remember the word Christ, Creo, contact? When Jesus made contact with wisdom, who was that? Solomon represents that. Solomon is a, a, a symbol or a symbolism of wisdom. So she made contact with wisdom. And what happened? She experienced an impartation into her consciousness 
And from that point on, she had an awareness that she previously had not been aware of, aware of which because she had only learned one half of the truth. So when you, when you grasp hold of the truth, the not concealed word, then literally it helps you to return to your original state of being where you're living out of and moving out of and experience the very life of Father inside of you and you're hearing the truth. So Solomon, in the wisdom of his divine mind, of his holy breath, he comes in contact with her then. And he, him coming in contact with her would be uh, her would be her un, unillumined, unillumined natural being, and that would be the queen of Sheba. She represents people who are not illuminated with truth yet. But when you come into contact with wisdom, and you make contact with wisdom, then it changes your life. And so when the illumination of holy breath is perfectly received, for a time what happens is we become absorbed with our source, we become absorbed with that revelation that we are almost completely unconscious to our body. Have you ever experienced that time, Donna, in your life where you just, you get lifted up so high and your awareness and understanding that you, you just kind of lose, you, you're not thinking about your body all the time. You're not thinking about your sense of lack any time. You're not thinking about the things that keep us dragged down constantly. And so when I wrote that, then I thought also, Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right? And the King James, and people use that in funerals, thinking because when you die, you're present with the Lord. But what that really means is to be absent from a continual awareness or the concerns of your body is to be fully present, being the perfect image of Father. And I like this, because this ministered to me a lot yesterday and today as I studied it and I reviewed it, that that's, that's the place that I desire to stay in, is to be con constantly uh, into me being the presence of Father and not thinking about my body so much. And it's a like difficult thing ailment, to do. Huh? Like your, like your ailments? Yeah, my, my ill, hurting. Yeah, hurting, I'm sick, I've got this, or I've got that, study. and we dwell on that. And that's what I've told people, and you're right, Donna, when I'm, in, when I'm studying, and when I'm translating scriptures, I feel a lot better than I feel when I'm sitting in here, you know, maybe watching TV and aware of what's going on in my body. And so that our awareness is so important that our awareness has to be raised up. How do I get well? How do I get whatever? We, our awareness needs to change. I don't need to change. My awareness needs to change. And we're going to talk about that more here in a little bit. But Paul wrote this another way in Romans 8, 6. He said, for someone to seek or be mindful and desire that which is external is to cut themselves off from that which is spiritual. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Moral, for someone to seek or be mindful and desire that which is external, this is Romans 8, 6, my translation, <clears throat> is to cut themselves off from that which is spiritual. You cut yourself off from the awareness of that which is spiritual and you stay on the awareness of that which is external. Isn't that the same? No. External is on the outside. External, oh, external. is the carnalness of the world. External. Yeah, external. <clears throat> and then moreover, to be mindful of that which is of our holy breath brings the realization of wholeness, life, and peace. That's the translation to be carnally mindful is death, mindful is death, to be spiritually mindful is life. That's a better way of explaining it from the Greek words. So we see Paul's exhortation of what to be mindful of is an exact example of what took place with the Queen of Sheba. 
she was more aware of that which was outward when she came and when she made contact with Solomon, she saw nothing but wholeness. She saw nothing but life. She saw nothing but perfection and those who experienced the constant impartation of Solomon's wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. So I know this is my desire, and I'm sure it's other ministers that are seeking to teach the truthful word, is that if you're feeding from what I offer you and you're embracing it and you believe it, you see it, then the result should be that you're living in this constant awareness of perfection, beauty, and wholeness, because that's who we are. And so again, I don't need to change. You don't need to change physically. Our awareness needs to change, and that's what we're doing. We're exposing ourselves to the true bread and wine. So the Queen of Sheba, it says, came to prove Solomon with hard questions. And the truth is they were not hard at all for Solomon. Why? because he was in contact with his divine mind. He, he, he didn't ask for wealth. He didn't ask for power. When Father in a dream said, ask what you will, I give it to you. He asked for wisdom and he asked for knowledge. And because Father said, because you've asked only for wisdom and knowledge, then this is what's gonna happen. Because wisdom and knowledge is, is, is very powerful when you function out of it. So she conversed with him of all that was in her individual awareness. That's what heart means. And here is revealed the questioning propensity of the natural side of the being. People today that live out of the physical, that out of the carnal, they have lots of questions. And they seem to be very difficult questions. One is, who am I and why am I here? You know, and science, science always looks from without. Like I uh, talk about a lot of times, they spend all this time looking for aliens and trying to make contact with aliens when they can be in contact and really are, they just don't know it. They're in contact with the creator of all things, all wisdom, all knowledge, all understanding. But yes, they go to the creation for understanding rather than the creator. So there is implanted by the intellect of sensory knowledge man and that substance side of our consciousness, a degree of intelligence, but it is not the source of wisdom. There is intelligence, as I said before. There's some very smart people out there today, isn't there? And they're not necessarily believers, you know? They don't necessarily draw from Father, although they don't understand that all wisdom, all knowledge, all intellect comes from Father. And I'll, I don't wanna jump ahead of myself, I'll talk about that a little bit. But if their intelligence is apart from their knowledge that it comes from Father, then that degree of intelligence is really not a safe guide for mankind. It matters not to me if you're really, really intellect. If you go to college 24 years and you have 15,000 degrees, you know, if it's not, if Father is not the source of that and it's not the truthful word, then your intelligence is not a safe guide for me and it can lead me down the wrong pathway to the point that you control me and you tell me what I need to do. You know, it's like me, I tell people all the time, the reason I went after degrees is because I want to, wanted to learn what other people teach. I have a doctorate's degree, I have three master's degrees, but none of them taught me what listening to the very Spirit of the Lord has taught me. But it did help me to understand a surface level, level of the Bible and it also helped me understand where different doctrines came from. It's not enough to say, I don't believe something. You need to know where it came from and why it's there. <clears throat> so, there's always more to learn, too. Huh? And there's always more to yes. learn. Yes. 
So again, let me say this so people understand this. There is implanted by the intellect of sensory knowledge man a degree of consciousness. I mean, a degree of intelligence in their consciousness. And if it's not from the source, then it's not a safe guide for mankind. If it's not of the source, if it's not a father. And this is illustrated in the Garden of Eden parable by that serpent, which is just a symbol of something, a serpent been symbolic of the sensuous intelligence that pervades nature to where one learns from their own carnal experience. The word serpent is nakash, and it means to hiss or to whisper or to learn from one's own experience. And remember, uh, Eve heard in her conscious awareness, did God really say? That wasn't a snake talking to her, that was her thoughts. That was her carnal thoughts saying, did God really say? And so it means to learn from one's own experience apart from Father. I don't want to learn from my carnal experiences. I want to learn from Father. Now, you know what? I can learn from things that I do that cause problems in my life. I can learn not to do that anymore. I can learn that's not the way. I can learn, and it took me a long time when I was young to learn to this, that going to a bank for a loan is not always the way out. Or the big one was a consolidation loan. That was not the way out. And I should have learned it a lot earlier, but when I finally matured, then I realized I don't need loans. You know, now if you buy a home or a car, most people don't have that much money, but it's still wise to, to get a low, low interest and not buy the most expensive car in the world and then pay it off early. On a home, it's so smart to pay principal payments. People have no clue about that, how small a principal payment is, and every principal payment you make, you save yourself thousands of dollars. So there is wisdom then, right? And you need to use wisdom in those areas of life. <clears throat> so these sense consciousness, uh, the, the sense consciousness constantly ask an explanation of the riddle of carnal experiences again. So those who do not seek the Solomon within, which is the divine mind, it's wisdom themselves, they're constantly seeking without for the answers. And there are many questions of the origin of the universe, uh, of character, of material things, if you would. And never can these questions be answered satisfactorily except from the supreme wisdom of the divine mind. Man whose breath in his nostrils will not give you an answer that satisfies, right? <clears throat> It'll keep you always wanting, always desiring something more. And so in the Bible, Solomon is also a picture of our divine mind, a picture of wisdom. Now, material, what is material? Well, that's just things we see out here, you know? Uh, material substance, if you would, has no real substance apart from holy breath because all things were made by Father. All things were created by Father from the foundation of the world. We think we invent things. We don't invent anything. We discover things, right? because all knowledge comes from our Father. So <clears throat> the material substance, if you would, apart from Father, is the result of a darkened state of consciousness and it passes away when the light is turned on. A lot of things today, many things today that are supposedly invented by mankind, they come from the divine mind, but they use them for greed. They don't use them necessarily to bless people. The okay. knowledge for, by, for greed. For instance, the people that, you know, and I'm not saying I'm knowledgeable about everything, but the people that create certain viruses, most of the time they do that 
so they can make a, a, a vaccination for it so they can make money. If you're that smart, if you're that intelligent, why don't you do something that will bless the earth? It's like I say all the time, there's people that know how to uh, send spam mail. They know how to uh, uh, hack into your computers. They're so smart, but it's intellectual smartness apart from the spirit, the divine wisdom of God. So they use it for greed instead of using it to bless the world. And that can go on and on and on. So it's the result of a darkened state of consciousness. And But when the light is turned on, when they see revelation knowledge and their source is Father, then what do you do with your knowledge and your understanding? You bless people with it. Right. Everything you know, everything you have learned from the when from Father, you bless people with it. So all matter desire will disappear when mankind enters into this real substance of being who they be. You just can't help but be a giver. You can't help, you know, the word cherubim, I always tell people, really means people of blessing. You just, it's, it's for some reason, you can't help but bless people. You know, I've had people tell me all the time, why do you give money to people? Why do you, why do you do this? My grand, grandson doesn't quite figure it out, understand it yet, why I give money to strangers. We, because I'm a person of blessing. I, I love to bless people. I love to help people. You know, a lady wrote me the other day, she said she's been following me for years. And then she said, I remember when you said you like to give $100 bills away. I thought she was getting ready to ask me for $100, <laughs> but she just said she remembered that. So <clears throat> I want people to know that about me. I never want people, somebody to say Roy was selfish or Roy didn't like helping people. I want it said to me that he always gave because what did Jesus say? It's better to give than it is to receive. Hi, Kathy. Glad you're here with us. So within every person is real life. Within every person, ever born of woman in this planet is real life and also an imperishable body. Our body was created to live forever. Our body was created to replete the cells and replete everything that we need in it. And the Bible tells us that. So this inner life is represented, if you would, by these camels and the imperishable body is represented by the spices that the queen brought to Solomon. The substance idea, if you would, rejoices when it sees or it perceives the truth of holy breath. Uh, so we, we see the importance of spiritualizing the body consciousness. My body is spirit. It's not just flesh and blood. We are not a three-part being, the spirit, soul, and the body. We are not a spirit having a, a, uh, a, a uh, what do they say? Oh, having a human experience. That's not true. We are spirit. Every bit of our being is spirit. We are divine life. So we thus see the importance of spiritualizing this body consciousness by declaring for it the wisdom of the divine mind. We speak over ourselves that we have divine wisdom. We, like Paul said, we have all things that pertain to spiritual life and to physical life. And the word things sometimes can mean logos. So we have the word, we have the source, if you would. We are the word become what? Flesh. We are spirit, as Kay says, slowed down to visibility. So whenever a question is presented about the character of carnal understanding and the uh, many points pertaining to the overcoming of physical decay, we may know that the Queen of Sheba has come and seeking to prove our spiritual wisdom with some hard questions.
and that's how you do it. Or you, if you're really wise, then I'm going to ask you these questions. But again, they're not hard questions to a person who has wisdom. They're hard questions to people who are functioning out of a carnal mind state. Not, they don't have a carnal mind, but out of carnal mindfulness, I mean. So here's the statement. Sheba came to prove Solomon with hard questions. And when I read that, it made me think of the Pharisees that came to ask Jesus what they thought would be hard questions. They thought that they were going to trip him up. They didn't want the answer. Sheba wanted the answer. People who are waking up, they're seeking wisdom. They're seeking knowledge because the wisdom and the knowledge of this world cosmos is failing them today. Would you agree? And so they're looking for people that have wisdom that can answer their questions. Uh, today, when people ask me questions, I don't sit here and think, well, that's a hard question. Now, I may say, I haven't searched it out yet. Let me search it out, but I can give you the answer. And back in 1988 or 87, I remember driving down I-40 going to Texas with my friend Melvin Judkins, and he had been studying a lot. He was quoting scriptures and sharing things with me that he learned from Malcolm Smith. And I just quietly prayed, said, Lord, help me get to the place where I can do that, where I can talk about the scripture and I can explain the word. And that was about the beginning of 1988. And not too long after that, Father began to move me to a higher awareness. And it's awesome to be able to answer people's questions. So they also stood in the presence, if you would, the, the Pharisees of a man who stayed in contact with Father, which was Jesus from his birth, but they didn't know that. They just thought he was just Mary's little boy, and they just thought he was somebody that people were trying to get to take over their kingdom, if you would. And so they were standing in the presence of divine wisdom right then. And he had the knowledge to impart to them everything they needed to know, but again, they didn't really want any understanding. They just wanted to trip Jesus up, and, and so they could accuse him later on. But not the Queen of Sheba. She communed with Solomon, all that was in her individual awareness. She sat down and said, you know, this is what I believe and this is what I thought or whatever. Would you help me? And what I found today, a lot of people aren't necessarily asking questions because they want the answer. They're asking questions because they want to make a division between you and them. How many times do people say, what church do you go to? What denomination is it? What do you believe? What does your church teach. That is a shame that we have to say, what does your teach your church teach? Every church should teach the same thing. Everything every pastor should be teaching out of divine wisdom and understanding. When that happens, we will all preach and teach the same thing. So the truth is not all ministers are teaching with divine wisdom and understanding because if they did they'd be teaching what I'm teaching. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm just joking. But we would all be teaching the same thing. And I believe there's coming a day that that's going to happen. I don't know when, but you go to any place of fellowship and you hear teaching, you're going to hear the same thing with different stories in the Bible and different explanations. Everybody will have a way of explaining it, but it's all going to lead to the truth. It's not going to lead to a denominational doctrine, if you would. And so the truth is all knowledge, whether it's na nature, whether it's natural, whether it's carnal or whether it's spiritual understanding, all comes from Father. However, a person's awareness is going to, a person's awareness is going to control how they use that wisdom and knowledge, whether they use it to bless people or they use it for greed and, uh, and control. 
And when they use it for greed and control, then Father is not the source of what they're doing. So the knowledge they have is not drawn directly from their source. And so what they do is they take what they know and they invert it. Kay used that word invert in one of her posts the other day, and it means they overturn it or they reverse it and they reverse the truth of it. And they pollute the truth because they leaven it with their greed and their desire to control people. We have often used the word antithesis, which in this case would be for a person to take their wisdom and their knowledge and use it in the exact opposite of its intended use. So if Solomon would have done that, all wisdom and knowledge would have been used only to benefit Solomon. So we see this antithesis taking place in much of our world today. And we desperately uh, need people to function as cherubim, which symbolizes again, people blessing and to use their wisdom and use their knowledge and use their understanding and use their giftings to bless people not to take from people and Solomon did just that. So here is indicated uh, the questioning tendency of the natural side of being or if you were the physical understanding. Solomon recognizes that the body consciousness is his own un unillumined being and it needs light. So there is nothing withheld, if you would, the Queen of Sheba, there's nothing withheld from her. The power that rules over this part of being then is fully answered to the point that she can live out of who she knows she is. You can live out of who you know you are when you hear the truth. And so it's a spiritual law that when the natural forces of being express the desire to learn the way of holy breath, then they're willing to pay the price for it. And the, the price of it is to receive the truth. And when you receive the truth, all that you have believed will just go away. There must be a willingness. There must be a willingness. And when you, when you willfully seek truth and seek knowledge, uh, spiritual knowledge, and you willfully lean to the spirit of truth or the divine mind, then you're compensated for that because it's already in you and it begins to release. So the law is set forth there in 2 Chronicles 9.12. It says, And King Solomon gave to the Queen of Sheba all she desired to know. I do not believe that if you're really asking Father for truth, I do not believe Father would withhold it from you whatsoever because the Bible says we have contact with the divine mind and we know all things. That's a scripture that says we have an unction of the Holy One and we know all things. When you translate it, it says we have contact with with a divine mind and we know all things. And the word ask doesn't mean, it doesn't ask for, uh, like me coming to Donna and say, Donna, uh, I need something, I want something. It actually means to ask, to ascertain, to seek and to desire to know a thing. That's what it really means. So when the Bible says, ask what you will and it will be given to you, it actually says ascertain or desire to know a thing and it will be revealed to you. Because if you're asking Father to give something, then you deny that you have all things that pertain to life and godliness right now. So uh, I like this law here that if you ascertain, seek, and desire, then it opens you up. It, it, it allows the, the, the flow to begin to come out of you. And the same thing is true when somebody comes to you and your functional divine wisdom and knowledge and understanding, when they ascertain and seek and desire to know a thing, it comes out of your belly like a, a torrent of living water and it flows and it flows and it flows. So I like this here. It also said, 
he answered all of her questions, whatever she asked, and it says beside he gave back to her all that what she had brought unto the king. She brought wealth to the king. He didn't want her wealth. He wanted in part into his wealth, his understanding. So she gave everything back. And that's pretty cool. You don't have to do something to receive. You just need to ascertain and seek and desire to know. And it will be added. It will be revealed to you. So let me jump ahead a little bit. So after this part of the story, you can read of the great wealth then that came to Solomon. So using your wisdom, using your knowledge, using your understanding to bless others also allows a constant flow in your life. The dam that seems to damn things up in your life is not seeking wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. It's seeking things that you already have. And that really dams up the flow of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding because you're, you don't understand. You don't understand that you already have divine health. You don't understand that anything that's required for tomorrow, it will just be there. It just shows up. And I've proved that, our fathers proved that in my life ever since 1996. Whatever Don and I have ever was required for that day, there's not been one day that we hadn't had enough of what we need financially. And the truth is there's not one day that we don't have divine health. There's one day, there's not one day that we don't have wisdom and understanding yet we aren't quite experienced in the divine health yet. I do know that I have divine health. There's not one day that there's not divine health inside of my body. And I'm meditating on that and I'm feeding on that and I'm expecting the full realization to show up in me. I know it, I believe it, but I need to see it, right? So everything's ours already. So as the apostle Paul, Peter wrote, we already have these things. And if we already have these things, then it should flow, right? If we already have all knowledge and understanding, then it should flow. Whatever it is, it should flow because that's the spiritual way of life. So I say it this way, to allow what we had to flow through us is to be a vessel of blessings to others. It's not so you can say, I've got all the money in the world I need. I'm gonna, I see my pockets full of money. Uh, I have the house that I've always wanted. I have the nicest car. It's not about that. I want to know that whatever I have, it's, it's an unending supply that can flow out of me to others. And as it flows, you're blessed with it too. So the Queen of Sheba, again, represents uh, the ruler over the natural plane or the ruler over individual awareness. And uh, your heart can be your individual awareness from that which is without, or it can be your individual awareness of that which is within, which is your divine mind. And so she was able to take back her kingdom. What would her kingdom be? Her realization, if you would, her comprehension, her left brain, as Kate teaches. She was able, the two became, was becoming one, that which is true, what we say in the right brain, which is spiritual things, the spiritual knowledge and spiritual understanding uh, uh, overtakes the uh, natural intellect, the creative, you know, the mechanical side of the world, if you would, and it, it becomes its source. So the knowledge that is there is a higher understanding or a bright light that when laid hold of, it literally swallows up your body consciousness and there's a transfiguration that takes place. And there's that lift, uh, that lift to incorruptible spiritual substance. And there's no more corruption in what you do say or think or anything. So this is the beginning of the process 
which the mortal awareness puts on immortality awareness. When Paul said the immortal, I mean the mortal must put on immortality, we always want to say, well, that means I'm going to live forever. No, it's an awareness. There's an awareness. But your awareness can affect longevity of living, wouldn't you say? If you're poor-minded, if you're sick-minded, it's probably going to drag you down to the dust realm. So in Paul's letters to the community of believers at Corinth, he wrote the phrase, shall have put on, when he's talking about immortality. Shall have put on. So when writing about this, the phrase comes from the Greek uh, E-N-D-U-O, it's pronounced enduo, and it furs a sense of sinking into a garment. So we should know so much about who we are and how supernatural we are that we easily sink into that. We clothe ourselves, which means Clothe means to bring knowledge and awareness. We sink ourselves into an immortal way of living instead of a mortal way of living. What does mortal mean, Donna? Do you remember? Liable to die. That's right, liable to die. And most of the world live with this liable to die, liable to perish mentality, liable to run out of money, liable to lose her home, whatever it is, liable to catch a disease. Today, many people are living with this fear of the COVID virus. I, I, they're just terrified. Everywhere you go, people are terrified. I was telling Donna this morning, it's so sad that there are, are fellowships that have rent and they have uh, electric bills and they have bills they have to pay because the people are so fearful, they're not coming. And a lot of times when people don't come, they don't support. So it's called that with churches. It's called that with restaurants. Fear has literally gripped this earth and this fear has got to stop. Because what you fear, you bring up on you. What you dwell on, you, you bring that into your awareness and it will affect your entire being. So, entering into this oneness is important for us. The, the first part of this word, and do, and do o is E-N. And I like that because that means a relation of rest or oneness. You've got to get to this place where you sink in to the very fact that you are at rest with Father and Father is at rest with you. That you are one with Father and Father is one with you. So much so that you see no difference whatsoever. And so entering into this oneness with Father would be an awareness of an eternal, immortal life. Father never created us to live as though we are dead. Most of the time in the Bible, death is talking about no knowledge of Father. But I do believe it affects our physical being. I, if my body lays down, who I am still exists. I will never disappear. A lot of people believe that when your body lets you go, you're just gone. And there's no life whatsoever. And I don't believe that at all. <clears throat> so, now that we understand the Bible to be about two different types of awarenesses, carnal or spiritual, and the word mortal means a liable to die mentality, and the way more uh, immortal uh, means a, a, a life mentality, if you would, a eternal living mortality. <clears throat> so let's talk about a mortal-minded person. What do they believe in? Sickness, poverty, trouble, accident, death of the body, and all those are prevalent in a carnal awareness. And people think about that all the time, particularly when you get biologically older, if you would, or chronologically older. When people get in their 60s, 70s, and 80s, 
because of what we see on TV all the time, what we hear all the time, all of a sudden they become mindful and they begin to look and say, oh, my hands are looking older. And we begin to identify. When you have a younger person, I saw a young person the other day, and I said, they don't know what they have. But the truth is, I have that same thing. I have a quickening power within inside of me that all it needs to be done is tapped into it. And so mortal words are spoken by this sensory intellect of man, and they are empty because they lack life, and they lack substance necessary to impart spiritual life and nourishment to the whole person. So literally, as a man thinks in his is an individual awareness or a woman, that becomes their realization. And whatever your realization is, then you allow that, you release that into your body. So hence, death and life are in the power of the tongue. We either speak mortal-minded words or we speak immortal-minded words. And whatever we speak, then that means we're confirming that. And words go on and on and on. So by the words of every person, they can build up their true self person. And I'm not saying name it and claim it. I'm just saying what comes out of your mouth most of the time. Just because that's what you believe. I know. We've been taught to believe that. And so when you believe something, you see something and you see that way. And we look out in the world and we see, you know, aged people and we see, you know, it's just something we see. And that's why we need to bring our eyes up. We need to see people the way they really are. And as I mentioned before, the reason Jesus was able to bring uh, healing to people and restore them back to the right mind and restore them to the right places because he saw it. He saw through what they presented themselves to be and he saw them for who they really are. And that's why I tell people all the time, when you look into a mirror, you see a lie because you're only seeing what your awareness allows you to see. And I use the anorexic as a, as a situation where people are skin and bones, but they look and they see themselves as fat. And so what you're, you know, these eyes, they only see what the brain can transmit for you. And if you messed up that transmitter, and if you're bringing it through that lie, then that's what you're going to see as you see the lie. So by the words of every person, they build up their true self or they tear down their self. And so an important question that begs being answered is, are your words the creative power of the word of God that brings transformation? Or are your words mortality that continues a false state of death? Speaking the truthful word brings this state of awareness to us and it magnifies, if you would, the life force of a state of awareness that's brought, that magnifies the life idea of man. What's the life idea of man? It's the Father's idea of who we are. It's Father, what Father imaged man in the beginning. So speaking the truthful word brings forth this state of awareness then, and, but we need to know the truthful word. And the problem is, is a lot of people don't know the truthful word. They know the written word. But there is a word that brings life, and that's the living word of truth. So, uh, again, we don't need to be changed. You know, God's not changing me. As uh, Judy wrote that song a long time ago, Judy Vandenberg, God's not changing me. He's waking me up to who I already am. So it's an awareness that's been changed. So some might ask then about 1 Corinthians 15, 52, where Paul writes, In a moment, and a twinkling of an eye, a certain word you hear, which would be, would be a trumpet sound, and then it says, We shall be changed. Mm -hmm. Well, 
Now that we know the Bible is about awareness, then we understand our awareness shall be changed. It's not about me. Yeah. It's not about me becoming a person, a better person. We're not teaching anymore about correcting your actions. The church, the Western evangelical Christianity, and I'm sure other religions, it's all about changing your actions. Stop eating ice cream. You know, stop eating gallons and gallons of ice cream all the time. Well, I love ice cream, and the more you tell me not to eat it, the more I want to, right? And that's why churches have so much problem, because they preach against stuff, and the Bible never told you to preach against anything. It's all about correcting our awareness of who we are. And when I find out who I am and what my source is for life, then I don't go to everything that the world presents to me and said, here, take this, take this, this is good for you. You don't want it anymore. So now that we know the Bible is about that, then we can go through all the stories in the Bible and say, how does this fit thinking? How does this fit thought? How does this fit awareness? How does this correct, how does this correct my awareness? And my awareness and my thoughts have been corrected tremendously by going through the truthful word and see what it really means. Another thing we were taught is we needed to repent of our sins, plural. Uh, in the Bible, the majority of the time when you see the, the word sins, plural, they misinterpret that and all it says is sin, singular. And there's only one sin and it's our false awareness of who we are. We call it a mistaken identity. So the only sin we have is a false awareness. And the baptism of repentance under remission of sin, Luke 3, 3, which the church has made an outward form, is simply a matter uh, of thought correction. That's all it is. It's a physical picture. When they baptize you in water, you know, it's just a physical picture of a thought correction. It's not just identifying with what Jesus did, but it's, it's, a, it's correcting your thought of who you are. What does water represent? The Word. The Word of God, the living Word of God. And so when you're baptized into the living Word, not the written Word, but the living Word, it changes your thoughts. And I'm sure most of you, I see Mary's watching right now, Mary Howell, most of you, can say that my thoughts have been changed since we've been feeding on the truthful word. Those who are listening to the K, I know their thoughts have to be changed because they keep coming back for more and more and more. And so the baptism of the church, the way they taught it, it's not true. It's not a correction of your actions. It's a correction of your thoughts. So what we do is we hear the truth to correct our individual awareness. I wish I had a pen with me. Would you hand me your pen, Donna, real quick? And so uh, I need her to get, I'm going to pause just a minute so my wife can give me a pen. I need to correct something here. Because if I don't correct it now, I will forget it in my notes. Thank you, babe. Okay, I, I, in my studies last night and my searching, I found a real interesting word, and it's, meta, it's metaphysicalonia. Have you ever heard that word before? It's spelled M-E-T-A-P-H-Y-S-I-C-A-L-N-O-I-A. And it's translated repentance, wrongly translated repentance. And it's, and it's been interpreted to mean an admission to God or to be sorrow for a past sin and a resolve to get a good future. So in other words, if I repent and I ask God to forgive me, then I'm gonna get a good future if I don't repent, then I'm not going to make it to heaven someday, or I'm going to suffer all my life. And that's what we've all been taught. And it's a, it's a sorrow for past sins, if you would. 
And so it's, it's been supposed that the field of action for that, which is goodness in the sight of the Lord, is conduct. So when you repent, you change your conduct, right? That's what, that's what they teach. So I repent that I've eaten ice cream. I'm sorry I ice cream. I know it could keep me from going to heaven, so I repent of that. So supposedly, once I repented of it, I will no longer eat ice cream, well, right? I was taught that repent meant turn the other way. Well, that's what a lot of people used to say. So I, I, so I go eat ice cream. I know, oh man, I, I messed up, so I have to go repent again. I have to go confess my sin to the Father or whatever. And basically, that discernment is a, a mental law, if you would. It's not a spiritual law. It's a mental law. We just thought, you know, if you get saved, you're going to be nice and you're not going to do all that stuff anymore. We were talking about a person we met the other day that uh, they were in a band and their drummer got saved. You know what they did? They got saved and they went to church and so they quit playing drums and bands anymore because for some reason they thought it was a sin, you know, to go to a bar and all that. You know, so he had to repent of that or he felt he had to. But a proper translation of the mission of John the Baptist is he came into all the region around about Jordan preaching immersion and mentation, M-E-N-T-A-T-I-O-N. Not repentance, but mentation. And mentation is the process of using your thoughts and awareness to consider something correctly. Isn't that cool? He, so he taught immersion in mentation. <clears throat> in other words, immerse your thoughts and your awareness in the correct understanding. Be ye transformed or transfigured by the renewing mind. So lean to the truth. And that's what that water baptism was. It was a, it was a, been, it's a physical picture of being baptized in the living word to correct your awareness, to meditate on your awareness and make sure everything that you're aware of lines up with the divine mind. If it's not a father, then it's not truth. So you do that for doing away with the shortcomings in your awareness. That's where my shortcomings are. My shortcomings aren't that I eat too much ice cream, but my shortcomings are in my awareness. And so father is correcting our awareness, raising us up to the truth. There was a man by the name of uh, W. Layman Abbott, and he said, it is plain that the mission of John was to bring about a change of mind, which I would say awareness there, not mind, because we only have one mind. The fundamental idea taught by the scriptures is not that man must know sorrow, but rather that he or she must undergo a change, a change not of conduct, but of thinking, thoughts, and awareness. I like that. I think that's pretty awesome there. So water baptism symbolizes the cleansing of awareness by letting go of thought error. But it does affect your, it does affect your, um, conduct? Your conduct. Well, yeah, but you, but the church always deals with the conduct. Yeah, well, if you don't it. change with awareness, then the conduct's always going to be there. Mm -hmm. Just like ice cream. My awareness is, is I love ice cream. It's good for me. And it's okay to have a gallon every day if I want. That's my awareness. So it affects that conduct of still eating ice cream. But when my awareness is changed and I realize that too much ice cream is bad for me, too much sugar is not good for me, my awareness become, I agree with it, then it changes my conduct where I may eat ice cream only one time a week or one time a month or whatever. So you're right. But it's, the church always has it backwards. They deal with the symptoms and not the cause. The cause is my awareness. 
So I can, whatever I go to ice cream for, I can receive from my inward man, from my, from my mind, of, uh, mind of contact, from the divine mind, from Father. And that's what will give me the peace that I want. And so water baptism symbolizes this cleansing of the awareness uh, process by letting go of thought error. So when you hear the truth, then you can let go of the thought error. But you don't deal with the thought error, you feed on the truth. It's always backwards. So it's the first step in the realization of truth. My process started in 1988. And that's when Father began to tell me that he was going to give me a word to teach. And you know, all heard me say it before, but the process, and it took, it took some time. So it's, it's the process of pouring into consciousness the dissolving power of the living word, which breaks up and washes away all false thoughts that are not the truth. So we must, I, I had a kind of a vision many years ago at Full Gospel Assembly, and I, I was holding the Bible up in front of me, and water was flowing out into my eyes, my ears, and my mouth, and everything that was hindering me was flowing out of me automatically. And I really didn't quite totally understood that. I thought it meant he was washing all my sins away, <laughs> you know, but he, it, it was a picture of my conscious awareness been, been cleansed and corrected and all those false belief systems going away. What I saw, what I heard, and what I said, because what you see, what you hear, what you say affects your whole being mm -hmm. and affects people all around you. Right. So uh, water baptism in the living word is putting on the correct awareness, hence the living word of truth. So Paul always said, put on. He never said, take off and put on. He always said, put on and then take off. So what he was saying is when you sink comfortably in the truth of who you are, then who you are not in your awareness just goes away. I don't have to take it off. It goes away by me putting it on. So spiritual baptism is taking on an affirmation and letting go of the great lie of separateness. That's the biggest lie there was. Adam said, I'm naked. Adam said, I'm void of God. And so all growth takes place through these two attitudes of putting on and then naturally letting go of that which traduces you. And again, the almost entire church world, what we call church, wants to deal with the problem and they're not giving you the answer. You can deal with the problem over and over and over. And if you, let's just say you're an alcoholic and you go get delivered to alcoholism and you're dealing with all that. But if you don't deal with your awareness, you'll go back to it or you'll go back to something else, right? Because you're, you're, you, you go to something to give you the peace that you need to be getting from Father, that your, your source within inside of you. So religiosity tells us we need to let go first then put on. The Apostle Paul says putting on and then letting go is automatic. And hence, then Jesus said, the truth, which is the not concealed word, will make you free. So first they need to learn who they are in Christ. Yeah, you need to be taught who you are in Christ. You need to be taught who you were, not in Christ, excuse me, who you are, and you said that to me, you planted it in my mind, who you are in contact with Father, because you're not in Jesus, you're in contact with Father. So who you are in contact with Father, and you learn that, and when you learn that, then all that other stuff goes away. You don't go to anything else for your source, but contact with Father. That, do you mean that you're one with Him? You're one. And most people do not believe they're one with Father. They still believe they're just a sinner saved by grace. Okay. So we do not have to deal with the old thoughts. We just put on the truthful thoughts and the old will be vanquished and will melt away. That's what will happen. So and we need to just be preaching just the truth. Hear the truth. That's yeah. it. 
You forget the other stuff. That's why I only use ice cream as an example. But our psychology, our psychologists, our counselors, many of them, they still want to deal with the problem. They still want to bring the problem up. And the reason being is because people feed off that because people like to talk about their problems. I've met a lot of people that really enjoy telling them what's going on in their life and talk about their problems. I've probably been guilty of it in my life too. But the truth is, and I wrote that book on counseling, very few, just a short time, find out why they're there, what they're going through, and then spend the rest of the time correcting their identity. One of the first things I say to people, what happened to you is not who you are. What they did to you is not who you are. What they said about you is not who you are. And what you say about you is not who you are. And that's the best thing you can give people. And then explain why. So what is immortality then? Immortality is a deathlessness awareness. A deathlessness awareness. In other words, I don't dwell on death. As Kay Fairchild says, I'm in union with the eternal one, the, the unending one, the everlasting one. And she uses another word, but I forget what she says. But one who does not dwell on death, that's what immortality is. I'm not out here teaching that you're going to live forever. But I'm telling you, we will live forever. Whether in this physical body or out of this physical body, we will live forever. But I'm telling you, Father does not want this physical body. What Father created lives forever. Father created the universes, the, 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 the earth, the planet. They're all still here. The earth, planet Earth, nobody knows how old it is. You know, and, we, and what amazes me is these orbits that all the planets are in. If, they go, if planet Earth moved one degree closer to the sun, we would burn to death. If it moved one degree away from the sun, we would freeze. I mean, how awesome is that? And this planet has rotated and rotated and rotated around the sun. It's never moved off its path. Everything that Father ever created stayed exactly the way it was except for man. Man changed their awareness. And then it affected the, the surface of the planet, the animals and the atmosphere and everything else because man forgot who they were. So one, again, immortality is one who is aware of their everlasting existence. Immortal awareness symbolizes a drawing from your life source, living out of your spiritual resources, if you would, and when you do that, it, it, it increases your strength and it increases your vigor. A person who is immortal aware experiences abiding and unlimited and unchanging and a fullness of life. And those, these things are true. So when spiritual thought becomes supreme in consciousness, the thought of only having a physical body would give way to the manifest, manifestation of the spiritual body. And as I said earlier, we are spirit. We are holy breath. We're not just a physical body. And again, we're not a spirit having a human experience. I don't know where people came up with that, but that's not true. And so uh, with, when spiritual thought becomes supreme, then the thought of only having this body really begins to give away. And we don't sit here and look at ourselves and say, man, I'm really getting old, you know, and all the stuff that we do that really pulls us down. So Paul talked about an immortal body and this is done and, 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 you know, that we need to give over to that. And this is done through this transfiguration that takes place by our leaning our, to our divine mind for everything, for all wisdom, for all power, for understanding, for divine health, for everything that pertains to life. I know it comes from my father. It doesn't come from the world out there. Hence, be transformed by the renewing mind. So 
about done here. So when we stay in contact with our divine mind, Father, the Zoe life is allowed to flow through the various centers of these systems that I've talked about before in our body. And they're vitalized with the living word and every cell of our body is vitalized. Every cell of our body experiences the rightful quickening energy that keeps us going. Hence, our cells will function out of immortality. So when we are quickened in spiritual understanding, we experience renewal of our awareness. We experience transformation that's ongoing, always. And we know the body, science even tells you that, that our cells, I think, are replaced every seven years. And uh, the organs are supposed to replete. Everything in our body is supposed to stay in freshness. That's what new means. It means fresh and not a war, old worn out thing, but look just like we did when Father created us to be. So the Apostle Paul wrote this, the mortal awareness becomes immortality aware and the corruptible awareness becomes incorruptible awareness. This is the resurrection to eternal life experience. So thus we put on our true awareness, our light of understanding then is lifted to the spiritual center and consciousness and we are interpenetrated uh, with the qualities of love, with the qualities of perfection, we see ourselves as perfect and we declare that we are perfect. We lack nothing. We see ourselves as pure love without a cause. And so we're able to love all people everywhere, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, we still love them. And then consequently, our inner intelligence grows finer, it's pure, it's more abundant until it is a light that shines in greater and greater brilliance to the very minutest parts of our being. And it lifts us up as the essence of the divine, the essence of perfection, the essence of wholeness, and the, excess, the essence of immortality. And we live with that and we project that out into the world. And that's what Jesus did, right? He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. The word I am is I exist. He wasn't saying I'm the only way, I'm the only truth, I'm the only life. We are all truth. We are all the way. He said, I exist the way. I exist the truth. I exist the life. And I'm here to show you that you exist the same way. And that's pretty powerful to receive it that way. So the truth is that man is inherently and irrevocably a spiritual being, not a spirit having a physical experience. Spiritual, immortal, incorruptible life, love, power, substance, intelligence, strength, wholeness, and perfection are innate in every one of us and it's expressed in our entire being. We really are what we were created to be. All the time, in the real inner truth of our being, we are who we are created to be. We're not trying to become something, we're correcting our awareness to the fact that we already are. You can't become something you already are. And if you're doing anything, hi Bob, if you're doing anything to become who you already are, then you're anti-contact with Father. You're not in contact with Father, you're in contact with religiosity. And so Father sees us immortal because immortal is the way Father created us. Father created us with no death in us. So where did death come from? A wrong awareness. That's what Paul, I mean, that's what Adam, the first race of man, passed down was a false awareness and people received it and they should not have done that. So the question is, what and who do you see yourself to be? I can teach all these things to you. I can explain them. You can listen to Kay and hear what she's teaching. And hopefully other people are teaching the 
not concealed word. But the question is, is what and who do you see yourself to be? And the Bible says without faith and father's faith, it's impossible to agree with father. So if you're putting your faith in what your religion taught you, your mom and daddy taught you, you know, that their thoughts and their awareness and their senses were lower, then you're not going to be able to prove the perfect will of father. And the perfect will of father is for you to live as father in a body in this earth. So in closing, once one gets past this understanding of what happened to the oldest state of humanity, then he or she can put their faith in what God has done from the foundation of the world and learn who they are by living in constant, constant contact with Father. I believe this is Paul's system of truth. Paul's system of truth is teaching the awareness that Jesus sought to teach us and explain to us. This is vital to all people in every country, every race, every creed. People need to hear this. When they hear this, this world is going to change. Actually, when they hear it and they believe it, then they're going to see the truth. And all wisdom, all knowledge, all understanding are, are going to be sourced by Father. And we're going to use that wisdom, knowledge, and understanding out of who we are. And that's to be a blessing to the world. I can say a great part of my life since 1996 has been to bless other people. Before that, much of it was about blessing my family, doing things for us, but I was still a giver. Don't you think I was most of my life? I still loved giving, but I was also into what God can do for me, you know. But in 1996, when I had that great awakening, it changed my life. And I, I love blessing people and I love giving to people. And, and I listened to Brother Garner's words when he said, Roy, now it's time for you to study for other people. Don't study for yourself, but study for other people so you can be a blessing to people. So I hope this ministered to you. I know last week it was a little tough for me, so I hope it came across a little better. I'm feeling somewhat better. Uh, I'm having the MRI of my heart this uh, on the 8th, you know, and just believe with me that when they go in there, they're going to find a perfect heart because I know I have a good heart. <laughs> so there we are. I'm still here. So again, thank you for being here and uh, all the uh, comments that you write to us. It's really encouraging. And if you haven't ordered Kay's new book, I would encourage you to get that. It has some wonderful writings as I went through it and edited, edited some of it or whatever. But every time, I, it was hard for me not to just read every one of them because they're full of great truth. Joanne, thanks for being with us today. So we love you. Bless you. Enjoy your Memorial Day weekend. Hope you get to do something it's fun Monday. Memorial. I mean, Labor Day weekend. Excuse me, Labor Day weekend. And uh, make sure if you can, get out and get wet. It's a good thing to do this time of the year. Bless you. Bye-bye. Yeah.